peace to you, and welcome to a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sign up for weekly digital content at richfieldumc.org. Subscribe, share, and get out there with Jesus to heal a broken world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good experience. This is a sermon podcast for the traditional worship service on October 13, 2019. The sermon title is Eyes to See and Ears to Hear, and it's part six of a seven-part worship series called The Neighborhood. The preacher is Reverend Nate Melcher, and the scripture is Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. In this part of the story, Stephen has just been killed. He's been martyred, murdered and stoned to death for preaching about Jesus. And the authorities and the people had it with him. And so this is just a three-line piece of aftermath. Hear these words at the top of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And Saul approved of their killing him. That day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I give a lot of credit to the people who go door to door for politics or for a cause or to sell something. I think it takes a lot of chutzpah to go door to door with whatever you've got on your mind or your heart. Now, in, in our new house, we bought a house last year about a mile away, and, and we don't get a lot of door-to-door people, uh, but at our rented place about four blocks south of here for around six years, we got a lot of door-to-door, especially religious folks, especially religious folks. Uh, we had the Mormons stop by, the Jehovah Witnesses stop by a few times. One time, a young woman stopped by. She knocked on the door, and, and I answered, and she said, I just want you to know I'm going around to all of my neighbors, and I want them to know Jesus told me that I need to tell all of you that you are loved, and and you just need to know that. And that's on my heart, I have to tell you. And it was beautiful. Uh, And then she kept going, and that was great. What was funny, though, is uh, I was actually wearing a T-shirt that says in huge black letters the word seminary which is where you go to get your MDiv degree to become a pastor, and she wasn't quite picking up on that. So after a little while, I said, Sister, you're preaching to the choir. (laughs) And she said, Oh, I'm so glad. And she was delighted. We had a big hug, and and she went on her way. Her way actually was just to the next door over. Uh, At our rented townhouse, we shared a stoop with the next uh, place. And so knocked on the door there, and I kind of listened a little bit to hear the interaction, and she moved on. A couple days later, I went to my neighbor to ask, well, what did you think about that experience? And he said, well, I, uh, she was nice, and I was really glad that she was moved. It was a little awkward, and he said, I, I kind of kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. It didn't, but uh, that's how he was feeling in the moment. Have any of you ever had a religious person at your door? A few of you? All right. Has, has anybody been the religious person at the door? I've heard this church has gone door to door a little bit. Has anybody ever bought something from a door-to-door salesperson? Yeah? What did, what did you buy? Who said yes? I bought a coupon book. Okay. Anybody else buy something before? Boy Scout Reads. I wonder if there's some Boy Scout Reads for sale today. Girl Scout Cookies. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes. 
Uh, one of the last things I bought door to door was frozen soup for a school fundraiser. But I did not buy smart. I, I want to support kids. I want to support school fundraisers. Didn't do it in a smart way. Uh, I didn't get a receipt. Uh, and, and I actually I, I forgot to get the delivery date. And I forgot to get the school name and the kid's name. <laughs> do we get that soup yet? No. That's five years waiting on that soup. It looked delicious in the photo. But has anybody ever been a door-to-door salesperson? A couple of you have. My friend Joe has. And he was telling me a story earlier this week about the time when he was a door-to-door salesperson for two whole days. Joe was my intern a few years back at Hennepin Avenue UMC. He was my Eli intern. I think you folks have had an Eli intern here a couple years ago as well. And uh, this is going to be his other part-time job while he was my intern. His friend had roped him into selling door-to-door real estate connections. And he was really excited, and so he went out with his boss on day one, and he shadowed his boss at the first five houses, and it went well. And the boss said, you can lead the next one. Before I finish the story, you need to know Joe is two things, very honest and very cheerful. You need to know he's honest because the story gets ridiculous, and I believe it really happened. The second is he's very cheerful to a fault. So they go to the next door, and uh, the fellow answers the door, and they start to talk about what it is that they're trying to sell. And he says, actually, you don't want to talk to me about this. I'm not the homeowner. This is my grandfather's house. He just passed away last week, so we're trying to sell the house. To which cheerful Joe goes, oh, great. (laughs) It's a kind of little, little toned up. He wasn't really thinking there, and so the boss kind of shuffled him away from the house. Not the greatest first day. Didn't get a sale. The second day, he, uh, it's raining, and he is soaked to the bone, and he's at the door, he's making the pitch, and he says he's doing pretty well. Uh, in fact, he's thinking maybe because I'm drenched, I'm getting some pretty points in the midst of the sale, this is looking good. But then halfway through the pitch, his boss runs up, and he gets in his ear, and he says, we gotta go. So they run away, and he's like, what's the deal? And he says, well... I maybe don't have all the permits we need to be doing what we're doing right now. And the last house called the cops. So here, you take the clipboard and we'll split up and we'll run back to the car. We'll hit another neighborhood. And that's just about the time the prowler came around the corner. And so they they quick hightailed it through the backyard and got in the car and went to the next neighborhood to try their chances there. Cheerful Joe is ready to try again. The next house he goes to... Uh, the screen door is closed, but the other door is open, and he can see through the screen door that there's this big sleeping German shepherd on the couch. And as soon as he gets to the door, the, all at once, the, the German shepherd, his ears perk up, and it wakes up, and its hair is up, and it stood up. And before Joe knew it, the dog jumped up and literally leapt through the screen door at him, and it was started to bite into his arm. So it's biting him over here. And then the second dog, the second dog comes, and uh, it starts biting at his ankles, and the second dog is a chihuahua. So he's got a German shepherd here and a chihuahua here, and the owner wants to help. She's yelling at her dogs to help, but she's not coming to save the day because he sees uh, in the living room, she's actually in a full-body cast in the couch, and she's like trying to hobble herself up off the couch to go stop the dogs. She does buy from him. 
that's his first sale. He's pretty sure it's because she didn't want to get sued. So she'd made the sale. Thing is, uh, that was his only sale because the sun literally came out. Joe had an epiphany. He turned in his sale, quit with a grin, and walked away. And that is a true story. The interaction at a door, it can be funny, but it can be scary too. Now, two weeks ago in worship, I showed a clip of Pastor Adam Hamilton from the Church of the Resurrection interviewing David Brooks, the New York Times columnist and PBS commentator. And they're talking about how we get to know our neighbors. And in that clip, David was talking about uh, how sometimes we are, are open to that and sometimes we're a little closed off. And he said this, he said, where I live, it's if somebody knocks on my door at 8.30 at night, it would be the most savage violation of privacy ever. Is that similar for any of you? Uh, In the email that goes out tomorrow, the Worship in the World email, that's our email that kind of follows up from worship so that you can take worship in the world. I'm going to post a brief clip from a stand-up comedian named Sebastian Maniscalco who talks about how we used to respond when the doorbell rings versus today. Today, we're like, oh, maybe hide. But back then, he was like, hey, we got company. So you'll have to check that out. Ironically, while I was editing that David Brooks video that Saturday night before worship, about 8 o'clock, almost time to get the kids to bed, somebody did knock on our door. In fact, they rang the doorbell, but they didn't just ring the doorbell. It was ding, 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 ding. It was a game of ding-dong ditch. And we had not experienced that yet in our new home. And, and we were scared. It was very jolting, very alarming. Uh, and we didn't even open the door. We did check our locks. But we didn't want to pop our head out. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, it wasn't a good feeling. Now, for us, it was kind of a reminder that we've got to look out for each other. Through the neighborhood emails, um, some of the moms on the two or three blocks are on, on an email, and some of the dads are on an email for our two or three block radius, usually to get together for game night, things like that. But also just, hey, heads up, somebody was ringing my doorbell, or hey, heads up, this and that in the neighborhood. So a little bit of safety, too, as we try to look out for one another. The early Christians in this story from Acts today, they've got reason to be scared when someone comes pounding on their door as well. Now, they're mourning their brother Stephen. They're lamenting uh, what has happened. He has been murdered. They've witnessed this. It is still so fresh, just days ago, perhaps. But there's no time to rest. Saul, it says, was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women to prison. And all but the apostles were scattered. It's this turning point in the story. It's the first time the church is is truly experiencing widespread opposition and they're being driven away for their beliefs. Now, the apostles remained, but the rest were scattered. You could take this as a sign of who is devoted. You could say, well, the, the disciples who walked with Jesus, who became the apostles, sharing Jesus, they're the most devoted. And, and their new disciples, they weren't as devoted, so no wonder they scattered. But I wonder if really, maybe it's that more likely those Hellenist Jews who had come to visit Jerusalem, they were being sent back. They were being scattered back to where they came from. So the Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. They're Jews from all over the region. And they had their generational roots in those who were cast out during the Babylonian exile, the great Jewish diaspora, about 600 years before this. 
So they're all Jews becoming Christians, but they all took a different street to get there. And so what's likely is that Saul and his team are telling these Hellenistic Jewish Christians, get out of here. Why don't you go back to where you came from? The beautiful irony is that because Saul kicks the Hellenistic Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem and back to the surrounding region, guess what they take with them? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now the word gets spread out in the region. That's a beautiful irony, isn't it? Now a word on Saul, very briefly mentioned here. Please don't get tempted to yet think of Saul as Paul. Many of us know about Paul's conversion story that we're going to experience in a few weeks here in worship. But for now, don't go there yet. The reason is because uh, the people he's persecuting, they don't know that's going to happen. They don't know it yet. Let's stay with them a little while. The ones he throws out of town, the ones he locks in prison, the barges into homes while they mourn the murdered, martyred Stephen, they don't know. When we get ahead of the story because we happen to have familiarity with the Bible, we can sometimes do ourselves a disservice and also do the figures of the story a disservice. Because if any of this story is history, then the people in this story had their lives ruined and we can't make people an abstraction. we got to sit with that pain. We cannot make an abstraction of those who fear people coming to their doors today either. And there are a lot of people who fear people coming to their doors. And I'm not just talking about a game of ding-dong ditch that uh, maybe some young person did at our house. I'm talking about real fear because there are paths to indifference and fear if we're not watching out for our neighbors. There are people of color in our neighborhoods who see what can happen when an interaction with citizens or law enforcement goes awry. And we've all seen too many unarmed black people killed. Sandra Samuels of the Northside Achievement Zone, she was once speaking about how the fear of racism can play out and how it's often in the back of the mind of people of color this, if the color of my skin looks like a weapon to you, then I'm always carrying. If you're white and you have a neighbor who is a person of color, do you know how they feel about that? Do you have a relationship with your neighbor where you're prepared to have that conversation? Other people of color have had a nervous year about who comes to their door in the form of the United States Census that's coming up next year, Census 2020. It appeared that there might be a new question about whether the person living in the home is a documented citizen or not. Now, we're not going to have that kind of question officially on the census, though it looks like there are efforts to try to collect that information anyway in different ways. There's fear. What are they going to do with that data? If grandma, who's 90, immigrated without paperwork 40 years ago, what's going to happen to her if they find that out? Or my kids, and so on. And we can go round and round on justice and immigration, and at the end of the day, no matter how we feel about how we respond to people immigrating with documentation or without, I wonder if God really wants policies of fear to rule any of our neighbors. 
Do we want to live in a nation of door-to-door persecution? This April, I was at a conference called Challenging Islamophobia. It was put on by CARE. It's the Council of American Islamic Relations. It was a wonderful conference, and the speakers were tremendous. If you want to read my notes, whenever I go to a conference, I tweet my notes. So if you go to my Twitter in April, you can see all the different things that I thought were Twitter-worthy to write down. But one of the things I found fascinating at the Challenging Islamophobia uh, Conference was they were handing out this little tiny pamphlet, a little tiny card called Know Your Rights and Responsibilities as an American Muslim. And I looked at the different topics that were in this card that was being handed out to people who were trying to find ways to fight Islamophobia, either because they were Muslim or we were allies of Muslims. And I see topics such as writing a letter to the editor, getting involved locally, reacting to anti-Muslim hate crimes, knowing your legal rights as an employee, knowing your rights as a student, know your rights if law enforcement contacts you, know your rights if stopped by the police, Know your rights if contacted by Homeland Security. What to do if it looks like you're put on the no-fly list. That's a lot of different little topics that our Muslim siblings think about. And if you have a neighbor whom is Muslim, my hunch is they either know about or have this or have talked about it as a family. Friends, do we who are called to shine light and give away the love of Jesus really want our Muslim siblings to have to be prepared for Islamophobia with a little pamphlet? It reminds me of the the green books that African-American travelers were prepared with in the 1960s so they could find motels and restaurants and gas stations which were friendly to them as they traveled the nation. Have you heard of the green books? Some of you you saw the movie uh, with that same title. If you've never seen one, you can see a real one in North Minneapolis at the African American Heritage Museum of Minnesota. It's right there. And by the way, when you look at it, how many entries in that green book for friendly, black-friendly motels, restaurants, and gas stations do you think there were in Minnesota in that book? In the whole state, there were five. If you have a Muslim neighbor, they likely have this pamphlet. What other kind of pamphlets do our neighbors need? On Thursday, which is October 10th, and always on October 10th, it was World Mental Health Day. Something uh, put on by the World Health Organization, and their objective is raising awareness of mental health issues around the world and mobilizing efforts to support those in need of help. Now, if you're without a health condition causing you mental illness, and you have a neighbor whom struggles with mental health, do you know how they feel about this? Do you have a friendship and relationship with your neighbor enough to have that conversation? Now, while there's some documented links, a person does not necessarily need to have a diagnosed mental illness to have suicidal thoughts. And I'm not automatically saying mental health equals suicidal or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But a 2014 study in the United States recently showed that around 2.2 million people in the United States have had suicidal plans. I found this pamphlet a few weeks ago. 
at another church, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Here's another door-to-door pamphlet. And it talks about the number 1-800-273-TALK. The calls are free, they're confidential, 24 hours, always available. But it's not just for people who might need to call that line because they need someone to talk to. Inside are things for every single person. Suicide warning signs. What to look for in your loved ones and your neighbors. Do they talk about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live? Do they show rage or talk about seeking revenge? Do they display extreme mood swings? Are they withdrawn or feeling isolated? How are we looking out for each other? Are we watching for our neighbors? Do we know them well enough to know if they are in pain? We don't have to be the ones to fix it, but we may be the first contact on a long road to help into new life and resurrection. And friends, if you have any of those feelings, I want you to know you are loved. You are loved by God. You are loved by the people of this church, and I love you as your pastor, and I will be glad to speak with you about any of that and pray with you and find you, work with you to get the help that you need, help much more qualified than me, but help that can help you. Suicide is the second leading cause of death, ages 10 to 24. Ages 10 to 24. According to the Trevor Project, LGB youth are five times as likely to attempt suicide. On Friday, which was October 11th, and on every October 11th, it was National Coming Out Day. Coming out of the door about who you are. And I was reading stories of my friends who are gay and how they came out, and some stories I'd heard before and some I had not, and some I remember when that happened. I was there with them in college, perhaps. And uh, for some of them, they talked about some really scary times about when they didn't feel that they could be open about who they are. Times that maybe a pamphlet like that could have been more helpful. If you're straight and you have a neighbor whom is gay, do you know how they feel about this? Do you have a friendship with your neighbor where you're ready for a conversation like that? What pamphlet do young LGBTQIA people need if we were to go door to door? Where's the Christian message that your gay neighbors get. I hope it's not this. I printed this from the internet. Do they get this? If I were to die tonight, would I know if I'm going to heaven or hell? How many of them have gotten this kind of message from the church that causes more harm? Tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day, and it's always the second Monday in October. Now, it's also Columbus Day. It depends on your perspective. But Native peoples, sometimes called First Peoples, and allies are raising awareness of violent history of colonization that murdered millions of people and to avoid the real or perceived sanitizing of history and their voices being ignored for hundreds of years. If you're non-Native and you have a neighbor who is Native, do you know how they feel about this? Do you have a friendship with that neighbor to have a conversation? Last week, I went to the Lizzo concert. Do people know who Lizzo is? All right. Lizzo is 
like the biggest act right now. Lizzo's big. Here's how big Lizzo is. Lizzo's such a big deal for the younger generations that last week they did a whole segment on her on CBS Sunday morning to make sure different generations know who Lizzo is. Uh, let me put it this way. I've never been to a concert so cool in my life because in the middle of the concert she said, are you all ready to sing along with the number one song in America? I have never had an artist say that to me in my life. So this was a pretty cool concert. And in the midst of uh, dancing to all this hip-hop and rap with this wonderful uh, uh, singer, I, I looked around, and in that crowd of thousands downtown, I was in the minority of that crowd as a straight, white, and yeah, older man compared to the people around me. And she spoke to our crowd throughout the night with positivity and love between songs, and most of all, she spoke to the marginalized. She said, to the women, to the queer and non-gender conforming people, you are more than qualified to run this world, so get in there. Self-love is not a hashtag, it's not a trend. Self-love is survival. The young people who need to hear that message, how many of them are in the church? And has the church said that to them, made it clear to them? Not just this church, but I mean the church. Because if they're not going to get it from the church, they're going to get it from somewhere. And then that night, it was from Lizzo, the biggest act in music right now. Lizzo said, I can do nothing but shine light, unconditional light. That's as Jesus as it gets. Friends, the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor, Nobel laureate, didn't coin it, but he, he popularized that phrase. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. In Matthew 20, Jesus heals two blind men on the side of the road, and uh, he restores their sight, but they are not the blind who have their sight restored. It's the crowd around them who are shouting them down. Their eyes are opened to Jesus. Let all who have eyes to see, see their neighbors. And in Luke 8, Jesus tells the parable of the sower sowing seed and it falls in different kinds of soil and when it falls on good soil, Jesus says, would anyone with ears to hear and listen? Are we listening for what our neighbors have to say for us, friends? Do not fear your neighbor. Fight indifference with love. Let your unconditional light shine as Jesus for your neighbor because when we go to order to our friends, we might be the only version of Jesus that they meet. May it be so, and amen. This has been a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, copyright 2019. Now, go into God's world, knowing that you are a beloved child of God, and bear witness to the love of God so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you a generous friend. Thanks for listening.